Welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Church podcast. We pray that this message will help you in your walk with Christ. Our Advent sermon series this year is The Cast of Christmas. The title of Dr. Fenton's sermon today is Just an Average Guy. The big idea is the story of Joseph appears to be a passive character in the Christmas story, but he teaches a great truth. To be used in the kingdom of God begins with a desire to do right rather than doing something miraculous. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. May God bless the reading, hearing, and obeying of his word. Most of us have a mental image of Mary in our mind. Artists throughout the ages have helped us. We see her as a rather young lady, probably 15, maybe 14, with a subtle smiling face. She is a, a young lady who you can tell from her appearance that she's young but mature beyond her age. And there is such a look of wholesomeness about her that there's something within us that's attracted to her personality. Well, what about Joseph? What does he look like? Is he short? Is he medium height? Is he tall? We've never really thought much about that. Is he handsome? Is he just ordinary looking? Or is he quite ugly, in fact? The artists throughout the ages have sort of given him a nondescript look. When you think of his personality, he doesn't fit the other characters in the, Christ, in the Christmas story. The, you know, John the Baptist, who is a fiery personality. You think of the three wise men who are seekers. And when you think about Joseph, he's just an ordinary guy. When you think about his role in the Christmas story, he's mentioned briefly, and then he makes another appearance in the Gospels when Jesus is 12 years old, and it's like a cameo appearance, and poof, he's gone away. At the cross, we assume he's dead. Nothing is mentioned about him. We assume that Mary at this time is a widow, and it's as if Joseph has just faded into the woodwork. It's interesting in his character and the characteristics of his life, you and I probably can more closely identify with him than we can anybody else in the Christmas story because that's our story. In 40 to 50 years, 
no one will likely very much remember us. Depressing, isn't it? Last spring, I went home with, to my hometown and took my brother and uh, his wife, and we went to visit all the family funeral, I mean, all the family cemeteries, and take flowers by Decoration Day. Some of you may remember that. And then I did so with my wife's uncle, and on that side of the family, we visited a different set of cemeteries. We, as we were looking through the cemeteries, we saw names that we recognized, and there was one of the men that uh, my brother says, don't we know that person there? And we thought, through, yeah, that was, our, that was a neighbor. Later, in a different cemetery, came across the name, and I knew the name was familiar, but I couldn't think anything about it. And, you know, I thought, who, 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 who was he and what did he did? Later, we got back online and looked up his obituary. And, you know, he was probably the best man in our entire neighborhood. He just very quietly went about his work. He raised three children, two of them who became international missionaries. And even though, even though we remembered him for other things, and I remembered then the more I got thinking about the time I threw a ball against his house, and my brother hid, and I came out, and he confronted me. And, but it was such, a, was such a gentle, affirming way, but it made it clear, don't break that window, son. And the only thing I remembered about him then was that, but his life's picture, he contributed so much more. When you and I look in our lives, we often say, we're not the hero stuff. We're not made of the kind of character of people that will make a difference. But Joseph did. Let's look at his life. Let's think about what it took in his life. Joseph first loved the law and loved God. Notice what it says in this passage of Scripture. It says that he obeyed the law. He obeyed the law. What does that mean? Well, to us, that's just an act of doing the right things, but it's more than just doing right. The Jewish people understood that the law came from a sovereign God. And even though they didn't always understand the law, they tried to obey the law because they know from whom it came. And as a way of showing their love for God was their obedience to the law. Now, to see how this unravels in uh, uh, Joseph's life, you need to understand the three, the really three stages of marriage that's in the story. First was the stage of engagement. Engagement was where two different fathers made agreement that their children would later marry. It was an arranged marriage, which was common in that time. Now, to us, that seems so impractical but you have to remember back then there was good purpose for it because often the bride was 14 or 15 and the groom was maybe 16 or 17. And the fear was that young people were too immature to make a decision that would govern the rest of their life. So their two fathers and perhaps their mothers were involved in some of that discussion. They more than likely were, but it wasn't really public of how they were involved. And the fathers would get together 
and decide our kids should marry. Now, the second stage came, and during that stage of engagement, the children probably did not get to see each other. They didn't interact whatsoever. But next came the stage that is called betrothal. That's where it's more similar to our engagement now. That was after a period of years they would decide, yes, we need to go ahead and make plans for the marriage. And often the couple then could spend a few minutes together several times over several months and the parents supervised. There were never a time that they were unsupervised together. Now that's where the Christmas story begins. That's where, Joe, where we pick up with Joseph. During that time, you didn't just break off this betrothal. In order for you to decide, I don't want to go through with it, it was necessary for you to have a divorce, even though you weren't technically married. And the divorce, well, the groom's side could really choose that because if you felt for any reason that your future bride had been immoral in any way, you could break that off, declare a divorce, but it was a public divorce. And in some cases, in some cases, the bride would be stoned to death if it could be proved that she had been immoral. Even at its best, it was humiliating and embarrassing and the bride would never have really any future life ahead of her except living in seclusion. Joseph, for some way, we don't know how, realizes that his wife is with child, she's pregnant. And it says that he, he obeyed the law, he followed the law, but at the same time, he wanted to do what was right. He didn't want to humiliate her. He didn't want to create problems for her. And he, he wanted to do what was pleasing to God, what was in keeping with the law, and how did he plan to do that? It said he planned to do it privately. Make the divorce not a public a community event. We don't know how all of that worked, but we know some from extra biblical sources that there was probably a very quiet way of doing a divorce in where not everyone in the community knew all of the details, but it could happen. But you look at his heart. It was a heart to do what was right and pleasing to God. Where do common folks like us, where do we start when we want to make a difference for God? We start by wanting to please God and to do what's right. Eugene Peterson, who is a famous pastor and author and uh, who's written many books and been a part of different Bible paraphrases that's used, he tells a story from his childhood. His mother, his mother really took seriously her faith. And one year, she read an obscure verse in Scripture that led her to believe that they should not have a Christmas tree in their house. And she announced to the family, we will not have a Christmas tree this year. 
And all of the neighbors of, you know, Eugene's would say, when are you going to get your Christmas tree up? And he would postpone it. You know, he would say, oh, we just haven't got around to it. Started making all of these excuses for her. And eventually he had to acknowledge that they didn't have the tree up and wouldn't have it up. He said it was an embarrassing time for him. But by the next Christmas, she realized she had been mistaken how she had interpreted that verse. So she gathered the family and said, folks, I was wrong. I was wrong in coming to that conclusion. This year we can have a Christmas tree. But Eugene Peterson said the thing for him to remember about that was her heart was right, her decision was wrong. If you have to choose, you would rather choose a right heart because her intention was to do what was pleasing to God. She wanted to please by obeying his scripture. She didn't make the correct interpretation of it, but God honors a heart that loves him, loves his word, and where, and, and loves it to the extent that we will follow it. That's the second truth about Joseph. He had to put this into action. Because trying to think what to do, and then God says to him, Joseph, I want you to take her as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And notice it's after, after he has struggled with it, that God reveals to him that which is born in her or conceived in her shall provide for the forgiveness of sins of mankind. It wasn't until, it wasn't until Joseph really began to commit his way to do the will of God that he began to understand it. You see, Often, we don't do what we're supposed to do because we say, I can't. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. Even though we know what we're supposed to do, we do not know how it's going to work out. That's where we trust God for the outcome. We're only responsible for our obedience. A number of years ago, we had a young man that, he was a banker in our, here in Birmingham, a local banker, and he came and met with me and he said, God's calling me into missions, I think. He said, I don't understand this. He says, all my life I've been trained to be a banker. I went to college, I did my master's. He says, got a good job, and, and God's leading me into the, into the possibility of of doing mission work, and I don't understand it. Over a period of months, he began to pray more about it, and finally came, and he says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm resigning my job, and I'm going to go back to uh, uh, school and train a missionary, whatever I need to do in order to be a Baptist missionary. He goes to Beeson Divinity School. He's a missionary, and now <clears throat> he's an older fellow, not near as old as I am. But I think about his career. He went to really a, a third country and started a goat farm. 
And through raising goats, built a position in the community to be a person of influence. This family who grew up here in Alabama with all of the resources they needed, he and his wife and two children lived in a very small house over there. And over now a period of 20 years, they've seen that ministry prosper. Do you think he understood that when he said, yes, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do? No. He didn't know it was going to be nearly as effective. He just knew that he had to take the next step to follow God. Some of you may be struggling with the next step and thinking, you know, I'm, God, I want you to explain it all out to me. Show me what the end of this story is going to be. God doesn't do that. That's where trust is involved. It is that's where we learn to trust and walk with God. Third portion of Joseph's life, he overcame fear with faith. When you think about the Christmas story, you think about what Joseph did. He had he risked a great amount, a, a great deal. When he married Mary, he knew more than likely he had, rest of his life would be lived in ridicule. Because you know what people would think. The guy was either naive or he'd been duped by Mary. And even though we know that's not the story, that's not what the public would have, would have known about him. And that may be one reason we don't know very much about his life. He may have deliberately lived in the background because he would have known that the embarrassment that, that he may have caused to his entire family. And you can imagine the stories about Jesus and how foolish his father had been to marry a girl who called herself a virgin. You know, that's not possible. Can't be. And living under this ridicule, but God says to him, Joseph, do not be afraid. Someone has counted it. I'm not sure that it, this is totally accurate, but the number's fairly close that there are at least 365 times in the Bible that it says, do not be afraid, one for each day of the year. I don't know if it's exactly 365, but that's a good estimate. But why does it say that so often, and we read it at least three times in the Christmas story? It is because it is fear that keeps us in bondage. And that which helps us overcome fear is not courage, it's faith. It's recognizing that an all-knowing, sovereign God is in charge of the world, and we do not have to be in charge with him, and we can trust him to lead it. In my very first full-time church in Missouri, Branson, Missouri, which is a tourist community, there was a couple that moved in soon after I became pastor of that church. They had just retired and moved from Kansas City. 
They moved in the church and they were immediately active in the church and especially Harry. That was the husband's name. But sometimes, sometimes he wasn't always uh, appropriate in what he said. He would use language a little bit too colorful. And his heart was right, but boy, it was one of the... And one day he said he had said something in a Sunday school class and it was a small church, so, you know, they send the pastor to go talk to him, say, don't do it again, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he was telling me a little about his life. He says, I'm just catching on to this thing called church and Christianity. He said... I've lived my life in pursuit of success. I've been a successful businessman. But he said, I really never have lived. He said, Pastor, forgive me if I do some stuff out of where it looks like I don't know what I'm doing, because I don't know always how Christians act. But he said, I really sense God's changing my life. And in the few months that he was a member of our church, he served in many ways, got involved deeply in helping meeting needy people, and then he suddenly died. I did his funeral, and I told his story. <clears throat> Excuse me. I told his story of how God had changed and transformed his life. His son came up to me and he said, I my father and I have had a very strained relationship for about 30 years. He said he was always pushing me to succeed, succeed, succeed. And as a result, I was driven, driven, driven. And he said, I hadn't always done the things that I need to out of kindness to my parents. I neglected them. Sometimes I've neglected my own family. But he says, I realize now I don't want to do what my father did. He says, I, God's been dealing with me in my life. He was a successful businessman. He says, I'm thinking about going to work now for a small college in Iowa. He said, I don't want to do what my father did. And I realized that both of us, though strongly driven, we're controlled by our fears. I don't want to wait till I'm 68 years of age to live the life of faith and take out and do the steps of service and ministry. And then he said, when I realize that I am not trying to make up to God, but that God's grace through Jesus Christ has forgiven me, and that God knows my needs before I do, then I can live that life of faith. The son wrote me several times in the next few years. He moved back, he did the job in the small college, and he says, it's the most meaningful thing in all my life. He says, I'm just sorry I didn't get to tell my father that now I was still following the example of his last few months. You and I gather here today. I don't know what issues you're dealing with, but more than likely fear 
is keeping you from doing what needs to be done. It may be the fear of tithing. It may be the fear of obedience to take the next step. Or perhaps God's calling you to something that's significant and important and you don't feel that you can do it and as a result, you miss that opportunity. Follow the example of Joseph who would struggle but then very quietly say yes to God. Follow through each step. It's amazing. We don't know much about him but we know what's important about him. He was faithful to God. And may that be said about all of us. Let's pray together. Father, sometimes we have big dreams, and there are dreams. And then occasionally we are captured by a dream or a vision that's far greater than us. But we never attempt it. We never did try it because we are so afraid of the rejection, the feelings of failure, perhaps the ridicule. Maybe people won't understand. And so as a result, we live, we live as prisoners to our fear. We thank you, Lord, that you would use Joseph, a common man, to bring uncommon redemption through the world. We thank you for his faith, but we thank you most of all for you, the sovereign God, who led in his life and through his son is now leading in our lives. Help us to be found faithful as your people. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that today's message brought you hope as we continue to love God and live with grace and generosity. Be sure to check back here for more podcasts. And as always, go out and do the Lord's good work.